Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Radio Islam family, hope you are having a great evening. It is great to be with you. If you are listening for the first time, you are most likely listening on WCEV 1450 AM. And if you are listening to us via our live stream, you are at www.wcev1450.com. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program, and we air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central on the station that I just mentioned, and we are always so happy to be with you. So, folks, if you are on social media, make sure that you take a minute to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and on both of those platforms, we are at the same handle, same username, and that is at Radio Islam USA. And for those who are on Facebook... We've got a special treat for you. If you go to our page, Radio Islam USA, like the page, follow us. The page is open, and if you're listening, feel free to give us your comments, questions, queries, whatever it is you have, and we will make sure that it is interjected into the conversation. So it is Thursday. The week is almost done. We've got one more day. Tomorrow is Friday, and we will see you tomorrow at 6 for the Friday Night Artist Profile with Muhammad El-Gamal. But tonight in studio, we have with us Dr. Lionel Allen, Jr. And he is the Chief Academic Officer of Urban Prep Academies. That's an organization founded in 2002 with the mission of providing educational opportunities to urban boys leading to their success in college. Urban Prep operates three all-male schools, including the country's first all-boys public charter high school, as well as an alumni program and full-year, <clears throat> excuse me, and a full-year fellowship program for recent college graduates. For the past eight years, 100% of Urban Prep's graduates have been accepted to full-year colleges and universities. I'm going to read that again. For the past eight years, 100% of Urban Prep's graduates have been accepted to four-year colleges and universities. Previously, Dr. Allen served as principal of the Sherman School of Excellence, the nation's and the academy, excuse me, the nation's first turnaround school and the Academy for Urban School Leadership, first No Child Left Behind turnaround school. Under his leadership, Sherman students achieved significant academic gains in both reading and mathematics. As chief academic officer, Dr. Allen leads the network of urban prep schools to ensure students continue to achieve dramatic performance gains. Highlights of his responsibilities include establishing the network's student development goals, implementing urban prep's rigorous curriculum, and, and participating in the application process for new schools. Dr. Allen earned a bachelor's degree in secondary education from Northwestern University, a master's degree in leadership and administration, and a doctoral degree in urban education leadership, both from the University of Illinois at Chicago. His work has been featured in the Chicago Tribune, CNN, and Edutopia as part of their Schools That Work series. Dr. Allen was raised on Chicago's South Side and attended Chicago Public Schools. That is awesome. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. <laughs> Thank you for having me, brother. Oh, it is a pleasure. It is a pleasure to have you uh, have you here with us. Um, I mentioned earlier, I said that you are the 
You are the unicorn. <laughs> I've never been described as a unicorn, but I'll take <laughs> in terms in terms of public education, particularly, and, and I know it's not something that is specific to Chicago, uh, but uh, public education in the United States, uh, you are a rare, uh, you are a rare find, an African American male, uh, not just in the classroom, but in uh, in in leadership. Uh, so. What is that like? <laughs> uh, first, I feel very fortunate and very blessed. Um, you know, I had an empowering academic experience. And um, because of that, I saw the value in earning a high-quality education. It, it truly uh, positively changed the trajectory of my life, right? And so when I look at the difference between um, myself and the guys that I grew up with in my neighborhood – the only real difference is I went to better schools. Right? I had more opportunities because of that, mm-hmm. and I had access um, to experiences that they did not have. Um, so for me, being in the field of education is my way of paying it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have a positive impact on young men who look like me, who have similar experiences that I had growing up, uh, and I truly believe in the power of education to transform lives. Oh, absolutely. So... In your in your role as chief academic officer, <clears throat> excuse me of urban, of urban prep, mm-hmm. uh, tell uh, the Radio Slam family tell us a little bit about uh, what that entails uh, and some of the some of the challenges and some of the uh, some of the triumphs that you've experienced. Yeah. And before you do that, let me go ahead and give you all that number. So if you're tuning in for the first time, our number. If you'd like to call and ask uh, uh, Dr. Lionel a question, seven seven uh, excuse me three one two. Seven five zero one one seven eight. That's three one two seven five zero one one seven eight. Almost gave you all my phone number. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my role is very similar to the role of uh, a school superintendent. Uh, I manage the three schools within our organization. Um, we serve about one thousand African American young men and boys. Um, we have three campuses across the city of Chicago. Our first campus opened in Inglewood. Our second campus opened in the East Garfield Park neighborhood. And our third campus opened in Bronzeville. Um, So my job is to ensure that our young men are receiving a high-quality education that's going to prepare them to uh, not just attend college or be accepted into college, but to succeed, i.e. graduate once they get there. Um, And so I work very closely with our principals and our school leadership teams uh, to ensure that they have the resources that they need and the support that they need to support high-quality instruction in the classroom. So um, I don't have a lot of interaction. I don't have as much interaction as I would like with teachers and students, and that's one of the things that I miss about this role. When I was a principal, I interact with teachers. I knew my students well. I knew my families. Uh, This is a bit more bureaucratic in a way uh, in that, you know, you move further away from students to further you sort of move up the educational hierarchy, right? Right. Um, But uh, one of the things that I appreciate is the ability to be able to visit campuses, to work with school leaders who are tremendously passionate about this work, those who have committed their lives to improving the lives of African-American males. And uh, every day I get to see young men, these beautiful black and brown brothers, engaging in the academic process, reading, writing, doing mathematics. And so it's, it's, it's confirmation that all that we hear, all the negative things that we hear about black boys, is not true. 
right. right, that we have some real gems. We have young men where if you put them in the right uh, situation, the right circumstance, you create the conditions for them to be successful, they will soar. Um, and so I'm very fortunate to be able to see that every day. And my old man used to say, if you, can, if you get paid for doing something that you would do for free, then you're winning. And I feel like I'm winning because I know that if I was not in this role, I would be mentoring black boys. I would be tutoring black boys. I would be doing it anyway. Right. And so the fact that I get paid for this is truly a blessing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, we mentioned that 100%, 100% of the students go on to four-year colleges, universities. What is the mission behind that type of outcome? What's the yeah. mission of Urban Prep? So the mission of Urban Prep is to provide a high-quality, comprehensive college preparatory education that results in our graduates succeeding in college. Um, we have a, you know, one focus, and that's making sure that our young men graduate from a four-year college or university. That is why we were established. Uh, we have a laser-like focus on making sure that that happens. We know that nowadays, more so than any other time in our history, um, it is absolutely essential uh, that a young man either has a, a college degree or has a, a certificate for a trade. Right. Right. You know, long gone are the days where you could just sort of get a job with a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. Um, those jobs are few and far between. And you certainly aren't going to find the type of employment that's going to allow you to take care of your family at the level that you want to take care of them. So uh, that is our singular mission, our singular focus. And so we rally everyone around that mission. Um, and so people often ask, well, you know, how do you make it happen? How, how is it that 100 percent of your graduates, you know, are accepted to four year colleges and universities? We've designed a structure to make sure that that happens. So, you know, all throughout their four years, starting with their freshman year, we're exposing them to college. We're setting college going as the expectation. We've built a college going culture. There's, you know, college pennants uh, in our hallways. We have college reps in and out of the building, uh, you know, all the time. We have what we call a college process class their senior year. So typically, when you're a high school student, um, you know, the college application process is something you navigate on your own or with your parents. At Urban Prep, we created a class. So every day, young men go to class just like they go to English or math, and the purpose of that class is to help them navigate the college application process. So our students have to fill out uh, at least 10 college applications. Uh, we have them group them. So you're going to apply to your REACH or your DREAM schools. You're going to apply to your SAFE schools and every school in between. We help them navigate the financial aid process. Um, and because we have that level of intentionality, we see the, the results that we, we get, right? Um, right? When you make college going an afterthought, when you leave it to students to do it themselves or families to do it themselves, and they oftentimes are first-generation college students, right? They don't know how to navigate the process. It won't get done. Um, and so we're really proud of that. We're really proud of the fact that we're showing what's possible. We're proof positive that you, if you're deliberate about this, it can happen. So folks who say, well, you know, college is for everybody. Well, we don't believe that. We believe that if you set the conditions right, then students can get into college and be successful when they get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of the, the makeup, the makeup of the school, mm-hmm. uh, is it, uh, what are the demographics? Is it uh, primarily African-American and uh, are, there, are there some Latino uh, students right. as well? Right. Um, yeah, so we're uh, 99% African-American. We have had a few Latino students, and when I say a few, I mean across the three campuses. In our history, we probably have had five, and not 5%, like, like one, two, three, four, five Latino right. students. Um, all of our schools are in uh, historically black neighborhoods, and we know that you know, Chicago is one of the most segregated um, cities in the country. Right. And so if you open up a school in a certain neighborhood, it's it sort of, you know, people know well, that's, that must be a black school. We don't have any race-based admissions policies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know we're ninety nine percent African American. We are um, all male. About eighty five to ninety percent of our students uh, qualify for free and reduced lunch. Um, about half of our students come from single parent households. We are non selective, so a lot of times people say, "Well, you get to choose your students," and that's not true. Our students are admitted, you know, by blind lottery. Um, we take what we get. Uh, all you need in order to be able to apply to an urban prep campus is to um, live in Chicago and successfully complete eighth grade. Um, we cannot look at grades. We don't look at special education status. We don't look at ELL status, any of those things. About 25% of our young men are students with special needs. And so we have a pretty robust special education program. Um, so, again, we, we, we take whoever we get, whoever is interested in taking this journey. Right. We want to support them and make sure they have everything they need to be successful. And you mentioned that you have a, a fellowship program. So there's a connection that exists with uh, graduates after they leave. Absolutely. Uh, so h- how are they how, how are they kept? Uh, how, how does the fellowship program keep mm-hmm. them connected? Yeah, so we have an alumni uh, program that's one of our key um, sort of levers of, of, of change. And one of the things that we do is we support our young men once they are accepted into a four-year college and university, again, to help them navigate the pitfalls that we all have, you know, kind of fallen in as a as a college student. Mm-hmm. Uh, their most important job is to uh, treat what we call the um, baby come home syndrome, and that's mm-hmm. when you know, you know, I'm a young man, I'm a first generation college student, I'm hungry, I'm homesick, and you call home, and mom, I'm hungry and I'm homesick, and mama says, baby, just come home. Right. right. So we want to we want to serve as a, as a go between, if you will, to prevent that from happening. Um, so the, the fellowship is an extension of that in the sense that once the our young men graduate from college, they're often looking for jobs. And so the fellowship is our way of sort of entering into this workforce development space. And so you graduate from college. We hire you as a fellow and you come to and work for Urban Prep in a variety of different capacities. Um, the assistant to the CEO is an Urban Prep fellow. He's a graduate from the class of 2010. We have students who work in student recruitment. What better way to sell Urban Prep than to have a graduate who's graduated from college, right, come back and say, this is how Urban Prep helped change my life. Right. Uh, we have students who, uh, graduates rather, who are working as fellows uh, in school support positions. So uh, it's just a great way to uh, to allow these young men to give back to an organization that gave so much to them. And it's great for us just to see them from, you know, they were 14 years old and now they're 24-year-old men. Right. who are working, and some of them have families. It's, it's just a blessing to see. It's a reminder why this work is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask this, uh, and this is not something I don't think that is specific to urban prep, but your comment about uh, about Chicago being described as a city of neighborhoods, mm-hmm. which is code for it is a segregated <laughs> uh, city. Right. right. right? Um, how do, when we have these, when we have schools that are primarily one race or another, one ethnicity or another, you know, um, how do we prepare our students for a life that is, um, for a life of, of diversity? Yeah. You know, that, that I, and I, I think about that often with, you know, as a, you know, it's just something that comes to mind. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? It's a great question. It's one that we grapple with all the time. I mean, 63 years after the Brown versus Board of Education decision, you know, 62 years after the, the consent decree to desegregate with all deliberate speed, right. most students are educated in segregated environments. Right. Um, and that's in one way it's troubling in the sense that the segregation that we witness now is de facto segregation, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, and people are choosing, right, to segregate. 
I don't think the issue is really an issue around diversity. I think it's an issue around acknowledging someone who's different from you. It's acknowledging their humanity, right? Mm. That's the issue that we have. Right. Um, you know, because we have a lot of communities that have sort of faux uh, diversity, right? Like they, you know, they have a lot of different ethnicities and people are, you know, living together and things like that. But the reality is even in those communities, there is de facto segregation or there's segregation by choice. People want to be around folks who they believe they have a connection to. And part of that is because we don't know each other's stories, right? We make assumptions. We don't take time to get to know each other's histories. And, and so um, for us, particularly for black males, them being an educated, being, them being educated in a diverse, quote unquote, diverse environments have often been detrimental to their development mm-hmm. because they're taught to hate themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They're taught to, do, to not think that they have the ability to compete with other races and ethnicities. They don't see themselves in the curriculum. Their assets aren't valued, right? Everybody views them from a deficit model, what they don't have. You know, their mom is, is on drugs, or their dad is not in their life, or they're raised by their grandmother because their parents are in prison. That's all we focus on. Right. And so what we've done in a segregated environment is we've uplifted these young men to make them feel special, to make them feel brilliant and talented. And I don't know if that would have happened in a quote-unquote diverse environment because the people who will be responsible for their education in most cases would not see their brilliance. They would not see the gems and the diamonds that they are. And so I struggle with that, right? I struggle with the fact that the, the segregation of, of schools – "Quote unquote," the, the you know the the wish or the desire of desegregation, it came at the demise of really strong black educational institutions historically, right? Schools that had black principals and black assistant principals and black teachers. What we know, what history teaches us, is that once those once those schools were desegregated, what that meant was all the the black schools closed, and the black students bus to white schools. And those black principals lost their jobs. Those black teachers lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. And so we're still fighting this battle now to have more people of color enter the field of education because so many of them had bad experiences because they were educated in, quote, unquote, diverse environments where they were traumatized, where they were suspended and expelled and and their needs weren't being met in these school environments. And not in every school, right? Right. But but at scale, right? These are the issues that we're dealing with. And that's why we're still having conversations in the black community about the promise of public education, right? right? Because we've been miseducated and made to feel less than, made to feel like we don't have uh, the right to a quality education and a quality life that a quality education provides. Mm. So is that something, and I know this is kind of winding off a little bit, but um, is this something that is a part of the the conversations that take place within it, within education across the board, not just in in, in black schools, right, mm-hmm. or predominantly African American schools, mm-hmm. but in those that are predominantly white or predominantly Latino? Yeah. Um, how do we recognize one another's common humanity and 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 stories? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't think that we are at large. I don't I think in some schools they are having conversations about social justice and and humanity and and you know and, and not just being tolerant of someone's differences, not just being accepting of those differences, but but saying that that's what makes that person special, right? right. Like we've been lulled to sleep with these conversations around a colorblind America. 
right? You know, President Obama was a, an elected president, and now we live in a colorblind. Well, if you don't acknowledge or recognize my color, then you don't see the full me right. as a black man, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've we've had a, a time where that was sort of the popular thing. First, it was tolerance. Right. Then there was acceptance. Which I don't, I don't, I don't care right. for word. Exactly. And what, what makes us unique and what makes us special and what allows us to form bonds with one another is I know you as an individual. I know your experience. I appreciate it. And I understand who you are, why you act like you act, why you make the decisions that you make, why you believe what you believe, because I know you as an individual. Right. Well, we sort of, we want to turn society gray. Mm-hmm. We're not all the same. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's Okay. It's perfectly okay that we're not all the same. It's perfectly okay that we have different tastes in music and different interests and different passions. That's what makes us human beings. That's what makes us diverse, right? right. But oftentimes, diversity means I have to check my identity at the door right. as a person of color. And I have to assimilate or socialize, right, into this sort of this dominant, you know, cultural narrative around what being a true American citizen means or what, you know, being a, uh, you know, uh, a black man in America means according to someone else's definition right. and not and not being able to really be my true authentic self. And so, you know, I struggle with these these ideas of diversity and color blindness and all these things because I think it's it, we're not getting to the root cause of why we're such a fractured country. All right. And why we're so divisive. Yeah. Particularly <coughs> since that um, our our history as a nation is one where we have been stratified by color. Yes. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's 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 sort of a, a ridiculous argument. It is. Or, you know, to, to say that we are in a colorblind society. Right. Uh, and so. race is a proxy for economics, right? Right. And, and so there's a lot to that. You know, there's a lot to that. But we aren't having those really deep conversations um, in a way that's going to bring about change. Right. So you started out your career in education in the classroom. Yes. Right. Uh, so you mentioned now that there's you're, you're more of the, the bureaucratic right. type Unfortunately. of role. Right. Unfortunately. <laughs> But, uh, but as a but as an African American male in the classroom, of, of which, once again, you know, I don't want to just uh, I'm not throwing it out for for comic purposes, but right. for, to give uh, Radio Slam family just to give you that the idea, you know, when you think about a unicorn, you think about something that you never see, right? Yeah. Um, and it is an unfortunate reality that uh, African male African American males are just a, a, a fraction. Mm-hmm. of the uh, mm-hmm. composition mm-hmm. of teachers. That's right. So what, was, what, what are some of the things that, that you miss most or that you, uh, some of the things that really made you feel best yeah. about being in a classroom? Oh, man, uh, that's easy. Uh, the relationships that I was able to forge with students, mm-hmm. right, and, yeah. and, not, and not just getting to know my, my students. And I taught at a, a co-ed um, high school, uh, Getting to know them as individuals, as people, right? Like, you know, teaching is such a beautiful art and a beautiful science, right? We're, we're shaping uh, future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, we're molding young people. We're getting to know them as, as people, as individuals. And uh, it, it was just, uh, I very much miss um, knowing them as intimately as I did. I, I, I miss... Uh, the, the discussions that we would have about current events, mm. 
you know, because teenagers keep it real. You know, <laughs> they do, man. I mean, yeah. you know, and you know this, you know, because yeah. you you often give speeches and sit on panels and, you know, and people get up there and they pontificate and they wax poetically. And, you know, it's, everybody wants to, you know, <laughs> talk how, you know, impress people with the big words that they can use. And, right. and teenagers are like, look, this is what it is. Like, explain this to me, Mr. Right. Allen, you know. <laughs> and, and I loved that. And I, I was a history teacher. And so I loved making history relate and helping them see the connection between past historical events and, you know, so our current situation, the current phenomenon. And I wasn't a history teacher that made students memorize dates and, you know, fill out the timeline. It was really about making sense of our current world, right, and using the benefit of having these stories, these human stories, uh, to make sense of our own experiences. And and I loved it. I loved to to sit back and watch my students fire off these different ideas and points of view and engage in debate and dialogue with each other. And I very much missed that. Uh, I very much miss that, and you know, and now I, you know, I have students who hit me up on on LinkedIn. They're like, they get, they have jobs now, right? You know, it's like, whoa, what happened? You know, and you know, or they hit me up on, uh, uh, on you know, via email, or they they might see me somewhere, and I have to ask because I started teaching at twenty one, so sometimes I have to ask, okay, were we classmates or were we was I your, you know, was I your teacher? Right. And so I, you know, that's what I miss. It's the relationships that I had, the conversations that we would have, the laughter, the the good times. You know, I, I have a lot of great memories as. As a a teacher, I really do. You started out at 21. Wow! Yeah, wow! Right, right out, (laughs) right out of college, right into the fire. Okay. And I remember my very first day uh, of teaching. You know, I walked into the classroom. I had 30 students. The bell rang. And it was time to rock and roll. And that was, I was so nervous. They sitting there looking at me like, yeah, teach me, brother. You know what I mean? It was like, man, you know. So right. I, it was, it was so, I was so nervous that first year. And, and ever since then, the night before the first day of school, even to this day, I cannot sleep. Wow. I cannot. And that's the only day of the year that I have. I'm a pretty good sleeper. But yeah. the, the, the day before the first day of school, I'm, I'm always very nervous. And part of that goes back to when I was teaching. Because, you know, the first day was the most important day to me. Right. That's when you set the tone of what, what the year is going to be like. That's when you sort of open up yourself so they get to know you and you start to get to know them. And if you didn't do that right, right. you know, you had a very small window. Mm-hmm. And if that went sideways, it's going to be a long year. Um, <laughs> so it was a wrap. It was a wrap. <laughs> and I would tell teachers, look, yeah. you got about a week to get this right. Otherwise, it's going to be a long year for you. Yeah. Uh, but it was great times. And like I said, I, I really look forward to hearing from former students. And, you know, the students who drove you the, the craziest are the ones who appreciated you the most, which is often. Mm, isn't that strange? It is very strange. <laughs> Boy, I didn't think you heard anything I said. Right. And they, you know, you changed my life. You know, it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, you gave me a digestion. <laughs> Right. You gave me gray hair. Right. right. That was great. Okay, Radio Slam family, we have Dr. Lionel Allen Jr. in uh, studio with us. He is the Chief Academic Officer of Urban Prep. Our number, if you would like to give us a call, ask him a question, make a comment, it is 312 750 1178. That's 312 750 1178. Or feel free to post on our Facebook page. It is opening up and we are monitoring it every few minutes or so. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and we will be, we will be right back. <laughs> People have all kinds of excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So, um... 
We don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and this station. Assalamu alaikum. On November 12th, Radio Islam will be hosting a benefit dinner held at Ashton Place in Willowbrook, Illinois. Our keynote speaker is Professor John Esposito, a long-standing ally of the Muslim community. We'll also feature an exhibit by the late Jack Shaheen. Tickets are on sale now at eventbrite.com. Radio Islam is the first live daily radio show by Muslims. People are always talking about Muslims. It's time we talk back. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, let me keep that music for a minute. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You know, you, you sometimes fall into a, into a, into a groove. You know, it sounds really good. Just let's just appreciate this together for a minute. All right, all right. Thank you so much, Ibrahim. So, you are listening to WCEV fourteen fifty AM, and we are live stream. For the world at www.wcev1450.com. If you would like to give us a call, make a point, query, whatever it is, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. And make sure that you take a minute before we are off the air tonight and follow us on social media. Go ahead, open up Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, we're all at the same the same username on all those platforms at Radio Islam USA. So let's get back into our conversation with Dr. Lionel Allen Jr., the Chief Academic Officer of Urban Prep. So let me ask you this, brother. Do you feel uh, do you feel now that there is a sentiment uh, a sentiment that is that devalues education education and educators? Uh, you refer to education uh, teaching as an art. Right. Uh, but there is quite a bit of uh, criticism, you know, or focus on the so-called bad teachers. But very, very rarely do we hear conversation uh, praising or extolling those teachers who have, you know, ex- exemplified mm-hmm. uh, excellence and That's dedication right. yeah. uh, to the craft uh, yeah. of education. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, schools are across the board, um, you know, under resourced. Uh, we have placed uh, the the social ills, whether it be um, racism, whether it be um, economic disfranchisement, um, you know, the devaluing of, of certain races and groups of people. We place all those problems at the, the, the doorstep of, of the schoolhouse, mm-hmm. which is tremendously unfair. Um, and so we've created uh, a system 
uh, where, one, we haven't reached consensus yet on what the purpose of education in this country is to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, you can ask seven different people and get seven different answers about what the purpose of schooling is. So that's the first problem. And then we don't we aren't really serious about public education in this country. Right. Because most of the people who are in power to make the decisions that could really have a positive impact, their kids go to private schools. Right. So public education is not at the top. Now, it's always, you know, a conversational topic during political campaigns. But when it comes to the sort of the rubber hitting the road and people being courageous, right, about really supporting public education, you rarely see people step up to the plate to do that. And so teachers become uh, sort of the scapegoat. Right. You, you don't set teachers up to be successful. You know, you, you don't pay them well, right? Um, you don't provide them with the resources that they need in the schools. You know, you have students who who need, you know, mental health, you know, support. We have students who need physical support. And you want the, the teacher who has been poorly trained <laughs> and is inexperienced to be able to address the student's social-emotional needs and make them an intellectual, right? Like, there is no other profession, right, where you are placing that much on someone who's poorly trained in most cases, right, and expect them to be successful. So we have been unrealistic about, you know, the expectations that teachers should meet, and we have failed to provide them with the resources that they need to be successful. You know, you, you put teachers in, in situations where they are destined to fail, right? And then you, because you have a few superstars, who can rise above that and be successful, and you say, look, the model's working, right. right? And the model is broken, right? And there's a reason why teachers are struggling and why so many teachers are leaving the profession, right? They come in with great hearts. Right. Nobody wants to be a teacher to, to kill kids, mm-hmm. right? But you, you step into the seat and you realize, I don't have what I need to be successful. So I, you begin to, you know, become resentful and hate the job, and, and you quit. Right. And then there's a revolving door of teachers, Right, so most teachers in the United States of America have one year of teaching experience. That's the mode. One, one year. year. <clears throat> it's not the average. Right. But if you take all the teachers in the United States and you say, okay, how many years of experience do most of these teachers have? It's one year. That's not a recipe for success. Right? Um, and, and we aren't finding ways to motivate and incentivize teachers to want to stay because we aren't creating – learning opportunities and learning experiences for them is going to help them be successful and soar in a position. No one wants to be in a job where they don't feel like they're having any success. Right. You know, what do you think about uh, their, you know, we talk about being a, I shouldn't say we, but the statement is out there, the narrative is out there. Uh, It's been out there for, you know, for about, I think about three decades now, this term of law and order. Mm-hmm. About us being a law and order. Actually longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a, Goldwater, I think, who yes. was the first one to coin yeah. that yeah. Uh, that term, uh, and it, we are situated now where we respond to uh, societal ills, mm-hmm. and we look we look through that prism yep. of, of law and order, not of education and reformation. Um, so we look to give money or fund. You know, there's a lot of advocacy for funding uh, law enforcement, but it seems like there is a uh, there's like there's a real drop off when mm-hmm. it comes to the voices that are really it's almost like those who are uh championing education are begging for money. Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. How are we situated right now with uh not just on, on the state level and on the national level? Yep. How yeah. how do you how do you see that? Um well I I've always felt like we um as I said before, 
haven't really been serious about providing a high quality education f- to all students. Right. And so we create this narrative that, well, we haven't figured it out yet. We have figured it out. We know what works with children, right? We know what they need. But rather than focus on that, we create situations where people are set up to fail and then we punish them for failing, right? right? What are some of the things, uh, you mentioned that they are poorly, a lot of teachers come out poorly trained. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that need to be done to, to, to give them uh, better opportunities uh, for success. Yeah, so one of the, I think one of the most practical things I think that we can do, we, first we need to overhaul our um, our schools of education around the country to make sure that the, the teachers are, or, or prospective teachers are actually being trained to work in these really tough environments that they're working in. And a lot of times when we think about tough schools, we immediately think inner city. Mm-hmm. You know, but rural schools are also, also tough to teach in, right? They have their own issues that they're grappling with, right? Drug addiction, suicide, you know, mental. They have those same types of issues. We like to sort of characterize it as it's, a, oh, you're going to work in a black neighborhood. You got to, you know, be superhuman, right? right? We have to train them differently, give them the experiences that's going to allow them to be successful once they get there and focus less on theory and more on practice. So a lot of what you get in schools of ed is this is the theory behind it. This is what the research says. Well, all that's great, and you need that research base, but you also need to teach the person how to function in an in a actual school. The second thing, and it's going to require the, probably the most money, is young teachers, first-year teachers, actually need to teach less, right? So, mm. you know, we have now is – the younger teachers get the worst teaching assignments. They go to the worst schools. They get the worst classes. They teach the worst students. And I'm using quotation marks, everybody, <laughs> right. if you're listening. You, you can't see it. Huh? Right, exactly, right. <laughs> the veteran yeah. teachers are the ones who get the, the classes that everybody wants, the AP classes, the smaller class sizes. That's upside down. Right. Right, and it's, it's, it's that you got to pay your dues kind of model. Like, I struggled my first couple years, so you got to struggle too. Meanwhile, kids are, are dying. Right. They're dying intellectually. They're dying emotionally. They're dying spiritually. So what I propose is if you are a first year teacher, you don't teach a full load. You should teach two or three classes as opposed to six. And the rest of the time, you should be mentored by a veteran teacher. You should be learning how to plan. Right. Learning how to design a lesson, learning how to execute a lesson, right? You should be learning. The first two, three years of your teaching experience should be one filled with learning, not jumping in the fire and getting burned and then quitting because you burned out after two years. Our, our system is, is upside down in terms of how we structure it, right? We reward uh, longevity instead of performance, right? right? Um, we don't support our young teachers. We just figure, we put them in the classroom, they'll just figure it out. And who's getting harmed in this scenario? It's kids. It's children, right? Mm -hmm. And so we just haven't gotten it right. We don't have enough induction programs in our schools where you come in, you immediately signed up with a veteran teacher who's going to walk you through the nuances of this profession to help you understand what this really looks like in practice. We don't invest enough in our younger teachers. We don't support them enough. We don't invest enough in in professional development for teachers. and it's unfortunate because there's some really, really smart, talented people who leave the profession and go on and do other things because they just don't feel like they have an opportunity to be successful. Mm. What you mentioned, uh, the, the, the method uh, and the system that, that you're talking about, 
it makes me think about the uh, the medical Absolutely. Uh, profession. Absolutely. You know, uh, them coming in mm -hmm. and having a residency. That's right. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's three or four years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Depending on what right. your uh, specialty right. is. Right. right. So you have some organizations here in the city. Academy for Urban School Leadership, who I started my, my leadership career with, um, they have a residency model. It was one year. And that was a step in the right direction. Right. But, again, um, you know, you would never put uh, – uh, tell someone you could be a doctor after one year. Of, of, of a residency. That's too much. And teaching is the exact same way, right. right? There needs to be, you know, a long, intense, well-supported residency sort of period or training period before we say, okay, you're on your own, right? right. Um, and it's really unfortunate. But, again, we won't invest in that, right? That's money. And what we care about in, in this country in large part, we care about bottom line. Right. And so it's, it, you don't oftentimes see the the return of your investment in education as quickly as you would like to see it. Mm. So you mentioned the uh, well, all of the, the components to the to the individual, you know, the mental, physical and the spiritual. Yep. Uh, what are some of the ways that you address uh, that you have addressed that with your students uh, on, on a spiritual level? Yeah. You know, uh, when our schools. Well, society in general seems to kind of want to turn a blind eye uh, to that aspect of the individual. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, obviously, you're if you're a public school, a lot of times when people think spiritual, they immediately think like religion, right? right. And, and, and that makes sense. Uh, and as public schools, you know, we, you know, we have to sort of separate um, ourselves from, you know, endorsing a religion or way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to separate ourselves or not endorse the idea of wellness. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? And so what we want to do, what we try to do every day, is to feed our students in a way that makes them well. Right? That puts them in a, a mental position to be successful. And you do that by acknowledging who they are as individuals. So we have something uh, called community that we do. At every school, all three schools, every morning from 8.30 to 9 o'clock. And community is our school-wide assembly. We start every day like that. So you walk in the gym, you hear the African drums, right? You hear Jay-Z music playing. You hear hip-hop music. We're, we are affirming who these young men are as individuals, right? We acknowledge and celebrate our young men for their accomplishments. We have a, uh, a ritual called uh, you know, Student of the Week where a teacher writes a narrative about something great that a student did, either academically, behaviorally, whatever. They read it in front of the entire school community. The student gets to come up and exchange his red tie for a gold tie. He gets to walk around that week with the gold tie on. Everybody knows he's a student of the week. Again, we're feeding his soul. He, That's nice. you know, right? he wants that. Right? It's that effort optimism. I put in this effort and I work hard. I feel good about it. I'm going to be successful. When a young man receives his first college acceptance letter, he exchanges his red tie for a red and gold tie. He keeps that on for the whole year. Now everybody knows that this brother has been accepted to college, right? Yeah. Like we're feeding them. We're making them excited about being in school because we celebrate them for all that they bring to the table. We celebrate the fact that they come to school. For right. some of our young men, coming to school is, is, you know, is a miraculous feat. <laughs> you know, they've had to go through gang neighborhoods and dodge the crackheads and the drug dealers and the gang bangers, and they come to school every day. They need to be celebrated for that. But what often happens when that kid comes to school, he may even be a few minutes late. What happens? He gets in trouble. Right. He gets a tardy. You would even ask the student why you're late. Mm -hmm. You're late. You get a tardy. Man, you realize what I had to go through to get here? Right. So we celebrate them for that. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, feeding their spirit, right? 
making them feel good about who they are as individuals, making them feel good and affirming their identity as young black men, affirming their greatness. We always have a motivational message, something that they can sort of listen to, be a part of and engage in. We have something called Show Your Brother Some Love, where we play music for about three minutes, and all they do is walk around and dap each other up and give each other hugs. Right? Every day we do this. Right? Wow. Because we want them to know we love them and we care about them, and at the end of the day, we got their back. And, you know, and so we, that's how we set the tone every day. And, and that's important. And so when you celebrate, when you make someone feel good about who they are as an individual, they're more likely to succeed. Mm. It makes all the sense in the world. Raider Slime family, we are talking with Dr. Lionel Allen, Jr. Uh, he is in studio with us. He is the chief academic officer of urban prep uh, schools. We have three, three uh, campuses, uh, Bronzeville, yes, Inglewood. And what's the other one? West Campus. West Campus. West Side. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, uh, oh, so if you'd like to give us a call, uh, the phone number is 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. So let me ask you this. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on that your experience in school was a positive experience, and it made you, you know, it opened up the possibilities yep. for you returning into that as a, you know, as a, you know, to, to spin your yep. life. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So do you have students now who have uh, graduated or who are looking at the, 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 the possibility of also returning into the field of education? Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about urban prep. A lot of the young brothers, you ask them, hey, what do you want to do? Man, I want to be a teacher. Right. Because they see, you know, all of our principals are, are black men. Right. The founders of the organization, black men. Right. This is a for us, by us type of operation. And that often is not, uh, you know, covered or talked about. But that's one of the things we're most proud of. Right. Like this is not a uh, exercise in being a missionary. Like these are people who are from these communities who said we're going to come together and do something about this problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, they see it. They see themselves in the principal. They say, I want to be actually, you know, at the end of the year, the seniors, you know, uh, most likely to become. Right. Right. So one of the categories is always most likely to be a principal of urban prep. Right. And uh, and it's always, you know, the young man who is, you know, is already showing leadership and showing, you know, the propensity to 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 come back as an educator. And and uh, we have a couple of young men. There's one right now. I just had a conversation with him today who wants to talk with me just about, you know, my journey because he's trying to figure out his next steps. And so it's a beautiful thing to to sort of be a farm system for black male educators. And and that only happens because they've had a positive experience at Urban Prep. That's, that's wonderful. So, you know, one of the things that I love, and I think I'm, I might have mentioned this uh, yesterday, one of the things that I love about being a part of this, uh, about a, a part of this community, about being a part of this ummah, this, mm-hmm. this Muslim family, is its, is its diversity. Yes. The differences uh, that we have, you know, the different perspectives. That's right. So our Radio, uh, our radio Islam uh, family, our listening audience, it is representative of that of that mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. So for those, but even within that family, there are sometimes conversations that are difficult for us to, to have. Yes. Or, uh, there are some ugly realities that we haven't quite come to, to, to <clears throat> grapple with. So when they, so some might hear, because we also have, you know, non-Muslims that listen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So some would hear about a, a all, basically 99% of all black mm-hmm. uh, school, mm-hmm. you know, male, uh, you know, all males. Mm-hmm. And, might not understand, even after everything that you have said, but see it more as pulling yourself away. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, being 
and the term, I'm not going to make light of it, but, you know, they use the term of reverse racism. Yes, yes, yes. So speak, would you speak to that just, you know, for a moment? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, people who feel that way or are thinking that, I would just encourage them to look at the statistics, Mm -hmm. all right? Uh, You know, black men are more likely to be murdered than any other demographic group, right? Homicide is the leading cause of black male death, and suicide is the second. Um, the uh, The dropout rate for black males nationally is fifty two percent. You know, only six percent of African American males in Chicago who you know enter Chicago public schools as a first grader will graduate from college with a with a degree. Six percent. Six. Six out of one hundred. And in two thousand six, when Urban Prep first opened, it was two point five percent. Right. So the system has not worked. The traditional system has not worked for black men. Right. And so I think it's perfectly fine to say, look, this is how I look at it. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting a different result. So either either we disrupt the system. Right. And find ways to address the needs of this group that's being victimized by a system that's designed right to level the playing field. Right. Or we are complicit in the destruction of these black men. Right. Mm. Either we disrupt the system or we are complicit in it. Like we, they, you, you got to take a side. Right. You can't say, oh, well, it works. There is no data, not one data point that anyone can put before me that says or proves to me that the system works. What happens is they'll say, well, you know, Lionel, you graduated. You have a doctorate. You went to Chicago public schools. I never went to a neighborhood school. Right. I just happen to be blessed. You can't pick your parents. Right. I happen to be blessed with parents who, even though they didn't have, you know, a great education, they said we we know what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with so many young men that I grew up with and so many young men that I, you know, I would never meet. But I know their experiences. Right. So, you know, I would say we, we have to find the, what works. If we're serious about loving the playing field, then no one should be offended that we've said, well, we're going to take a more targeted approach. With these young black men, because what currently is in place is not working for them, mm-hmm. right? Like we wouldn't treat a cancer patient the same way we would treat someone with the flu. Right. There's a there's a cancer unit, right. there's a burn unit, mm-hmm. right? Because those are really really um, intensive cases, right? They have to be dealt with very in a very special situation. It's no different with black men, mm-hmm. right? The, the the Great Cities Institute released a report, I think in 2015, that said that 48% of black men between the ages of 18 and 24 are not in school and not working. 48%. 48%. Mm. So what are they doing? You fill in the blank. Right. So it's not working, right? So then we need to take, we need to triage this, right, and do something very special, very specific for these young men. Mm. So as a part of, as a part of your, uh, your journey through the educational uh, system, uh, mm-hmm. the profession, from classroom to, to leadership mm-hmm. to where you are right now as a chief academic officer. Uh, you recently have embarked on, uh, on a new level of, um, of, of refining your skills mm-hmm. and opening your network. Mm-hmm. Would you go ahead and tell the Radio Slime family a little, little bit about that? We're getting to our closing period, but mm-hmm. I would love to, yeah. to, to share that. 
So, with, you know, two things uh, that I want to mention in terms of the refinement of my leadership. The first one I would mention would be Leadership Greater Chicago. Um, I'm a member of the class of 2018. I'm a fellow, uh, and it's great because it's, it's really sort of honing my experiences in a way that's going to allow me to be a more effective uh, and more impactful civic leader. So I'm learning about the, the different sectors of Chicago. You know, my background is in, in education. I've been in education for almost 20 years now, and so I've had a laser-like focus on the tunnel vision in that regard. But this has allowed me to be exposed to, you know, the political sector, the economic sector, the community development sector, the nonprofit sector, things that, you know, I don't really know a whole lot about. But it's all connected. There's an intersection there, right? We're all sort of working towards the same goals, but a lot of times we work in silos. So I'm learning about all the issues and the wicked problems that prevent this city from being as great as it could possibly be. So that's been it's been a great journey so far, uh, and I'm learning a lot, and I'm around great people. I'm, I know there's 37 other people in my class, and I'm really fortunate to to be able to get to know them. The second is, um, you know, I'm the, the chairman of Men of Takwa, um, uh, which, you know, we see as sort of the, the social justice community service arm of Masjid Al-Taqwa. And that's been just a, it's been a beautiful blessing to be able to work with, with a group of men who are committed to improving, you know, our communities and not just talking about it and, you know, speaking or sp- sitting on a panel. It's about rolling up the sleeves and getting out there and touching people and connecting with people and doing real work, right, that's going to help advance our community. So it, it, I'm learning a lot in that role as well, uh, but it's been a wonderful Wonderful experience, and I'm very fortunate that uh, that you've entrusted me in that way to to lead that group and to and to really try to put my stamp on it in a way that's going to hopefully lead to with the law's blessing lead to us really having a broader impact in Chicago. Well, uh, I see nothing but uh, you know, inshallah, with God's permission, I see nothing but uh, but sunshine ahead of us, uh, and you know, I think a great deal of, a great deal of that is uh, it's a testament to uh, to your drive, your passion, and your leadership. Uh, as exemplified through, you know, the work that you've done with Urban Prep. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come in and talk with us. We probably could have talked for another hour. But, <laughs> <laughs> but well, you uh, have to invite me back, brother, inshallah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> inshallah. So, Radio Slime family, we are coming to uh, our closeout time. We hope that you have enjoyed tonight's conversation with Dr. Lionel Allen, uh, Dr. Lionel Allen Jr. Okay, we got to give his pops his, uh, you know, That's right. some, some credit there. That's right. My daddy. That's right. <laughs> um, and we look forward to seeing you all. Just to give you a gentle reminder, we look forward to seeing everybody November 12th at Ashton Place in Willowbrook, Illinois, at uh, the Radio Slime fundraising dinner. We will be honoring Professor John Esposito. He's going to be our keynote speaker. Uh, he has done so much as an ally, at, not a Muslim, but a, a God-fearing, uh, an individual who has stood for justice, and uh, the friend, as we said. Your friend is not that person who speaks good of you in your face, but your friend is the one who speaks well of you and, de- and defends you when you are absent. And that is the type of ind- individual that he has been. So we're going to honor him. And uh, and there are three other things, and we'll we'll get into some of those things tomorrow night uh, as well. But thank you so much for spending this time with us. Uh, the views of the host and the guest. Am I am I jumping out too fast? No. Okay. Do, do I have time for one more thing? Real quick. Okay. Real quick. I'm gonna give you two of those two of those things. No, that's what I'm going to give you. Tomorrow night, make sure you're with us at 6 o'clock because we're going to be having uh, Muhammad El-Gamal in. He is a dynamic photographer. Check our page. I'm going to see if we can post some of his work up on our Facebook page. And he'll be in tomorrow night for the uh, Friday Night Artist Profile. 
That being said, the views of the host and guests are theirs and should not be attributed to Sound Vision Inc. Uh, the producer, um, I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Uh, the engineer at WCV is Leonard. Thank you so much, Leonard. Our engineer in the house, the impressive, always reliable, Ibrahim Baig. We look forward to getting with you tomorrow evening, 6 o'clock, same time, WCEV 1450 AM. And I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.